Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rivley Podcast, where our goal is to inspire and encourage you to thrive in your life. And that means both in your personal and professional life. And we're doing this through conversations with entrepreneurs and business professionals from all over the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Rivley Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Sasha Rowe, your host and the founder of Rivley. Today, I have Lindsay Farmery, Rivley's Learning and Development Manager, joining me in conversation with Kibi Anderson. Kibi is the founder and CEO of Life Editor, a professional development executive coaching firm. Her coaching philosophy is powered by a belief that success in life is heavily influenced by the stories we tell ourselves. Her role as a life editor coach is to help clients unlock any restrictions on their vision and mindset to expand what's possible and to ultimately edit or change any self-limiting stories. The life editor client coaching journey is centered on exploring alternative affirming and expansive worldviews and eventually landing on a strategy and execution plan that successfully works for the client in this new paradigm. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you all. Kibi has a truly inspiring story, and her message about resting is one that is so paramount in today's world. I feel it's also extremely aligned with our latest blog and starting this year off intentionally. Kibi, Lindsay, and I dive deep into what it means to rest, the importance of connecting with your inner child, and building positive mental strength through the stories we tell ourselves. So without further ado, here's Kibi. Kibi, again, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm so excited to get into your talk, The Power of the Pause, and hear what your story is and how rest came into your life and why it's so important. Uh, if you just want to start off and tell our listeners a little bit about you and kind of how you got started, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much for this opportunity. As I was sharing earlier before we got started, I'm a huge fan of Rivoli and it's just a pleasure to be able to be in conversation with you all. Um, but no, I am, you know, at my core, I always start this uh, off with I'm a storyteller at heart. I am originally from the Pacific Northwest, little black girl from Seattle um, who loved kind of getting lost in books when it rained and it rained quite a bit in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, kind of just the, the 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 daydreaming and the stories that I read as a kid, I'm an only child raised by a single mom, were really what I think kind of propelled me into this idea of, wow, where can stories take you? How can you begin to understand people through stories? What does that teach you about yourself, the world? Um, so even though, you know, we didn't have a ton of means growing up, um, you know, my mind and my imagination kind of took me to far off places. Um, and, you know, the life that I've lived has definitely, I think, been a reflection of those dreams. So I have done everything from live abroad as a young girl in Southeast Asia. Um, I have, you know, spent many years working in and around the entertainment industry in Hollywood. I have done a lot of work centering diverse stories um, that are all about elevating, you know, I think voices that are not historically seen in certain spaces in media. Um, I've worked in many corporate environments across the world, and today I actually bring all that together and um, work as an executive coach, and I support senior leaders 
um, in a variety of industries. But I will say, given my entertainment background and my storytelling background, I do support a lot of senior executives who are working to develop their people management skills, you know, and folks who are directors, senior producers, heads of departments at major, you know, studios and production companies are a lot of my main clients. Um, and I'm able to just kind of integrate, like I said, this level of storytelling and this understanding of how artists think combined with a strong kind of corporate background. I have an MBA, so kind of more traditional training and business to really come together with an interesting and powerful um, kind of teaching and coaching philosophy around helping leaders kind of understand how to become the best versions of themselves based on the stories that they're telling themselves, kind of getting it back to story. A lot of my focus with my company, which is called Life Editor, is the stories we tell ourselves matter. And my role as, in, as a coach is to come and edit those self-limiting beliefs to make sure that you're telling a story that's serving you in the season that you're in. So that's a little bit about me. Love to share more. Um, but hopefully that gives your listeners a general idea of who I am. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I love the idea of going back and editing the stories that we're telling ourselves too, because I feel like we can get so wrapped up in even the imposter syndrome or like you hit one snag and it's just like you start this mental story and you start that downward spiral. So going in and editing those parts to kind of make that go back up is, is amazing. You mentioned you started with books. If you had to pick one book from when you're little, what, what would that book be? <laughs> It kind of like changed everything for no, you. No, no, it's good. I mean, there's so many. Wow. Well, I will say one of the first like series of books that I read was, and I'm forgetting, no, I'm forgetting the name of the author right now. Forgive me, my 40-year-old brain. But it was the author of Flowers in the Attic. Do you guys remember that book from back in the day? I might be dating myself. Really familiar. Yeah, I'm forgetting the author's name. So somebody can maybe DM me and tell me what the author's name is. But it's um, V.C. Andrews. Yes, V.C. Andrews, absolutely. And so Flowers in the Attic was one of the first books that like literally consumed me. Because again, I'm looking at, and for those who don't know, it's basically about these kids who are born into this family and the matriarch doesn't want them to be known. So they spend all of their childhood being raised in an attic. And in this attic, they literally have to form their own, you know, world and lives in this kind of small space. So I think I was just fascinated with this idea of like, how do you live a life? Now, obviously it was very stunted and there was a lot of trauma that came along with it, but sure. Flowers in the Attic, I mean, the, the title in itself talks about how these young kids still kind of were able to bloom and blossom. And I think just that the, the way that this author just kind of wove this really unique um, story really sucked me in. And then it was a series of books. So I think there were like three of them all in. Um, but that's probably the book that I remember most as a kid um, where I literally was mesmerized. Like I, you know, I was a nerd, definitely. But this was one of those books where like, <laughs> beginning, you, you saw me as a kid, like walking in the bumping in the walls, like trying to read the book. Because <laughs> so I would say that was from an imagination perspective. The other book that changed my life from, I would say, like a business perspective was a book um, by this gentleman named Reginald Lewis called Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? And it was basically mm -hmm. an autobiography of the first black man to actually successfully purchase a multinational company via a leveraged buyout, which was huge in the eighties. And I, I went to high school in the nineties. So um, reading that just really changed my whole um, belief about what, you know, sort of black people and specifically as a black woman, I could kind of do, you know, and those were the early days of me really thinking, I want to go into business. I think I want to be an entrepreneur and all that kind of stuff. And so just hearing his story and, um, just observing, you know, he was a young kid from Baltimore, rough, tough streets and ended up kind of, he's one of the few people who actually talked his way into Harvard Law School. That's kind of like his claim wow. to fame. 
But that book literally changed my life. And the beautiful story of this, it was a full circle moment. His daughter actually ended up being my same year at Harvard. And so oh, wow. I, and I didn't, I didn't realize it. And I was listening to her name and I was like, Ooh, it's Lewis. And I was like, oh. and I don't like, I've worked in entertainment for 20 years. I do not wig out. When I met her, I absolutely wigged out. So Christina, <laughs> <laughs> she, she and I are still friends. Christina Lewis, you, you probably remember that moment, but yeah, it was just so amazing. And again, it brought me full circle to like, wow. Okay. You know, these stories that you hear can become reality, you know? And I think probably weeding that is what ultimately caused me to decide to go to Harvard, you know, and kind of begin the right. journey, which helped propel me in so many ways. But um, again, the power of storytelling and just believing that, wow, it is possible. Okay. Let me see if I can make it happen too. That's incredible. And I don't believe anything happens, you know, outside of meaning. Um, I feel like everything happens for a reason. So you reading that book and then going to Harvard and and meeting his daughter, it just, it gives mm -hmm. me the chills. I feel like that was absolutely meant All to be. divine timing. Yeah, yes. exactly. Definitely gave me the chills, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. So this power of the pause, when, when was the first time in your life that you kind of came to terms with that rest was important and that your body needed that to be mm -hmm. able to keep moving forward on this, this path that has been, like Lindsay said, like divinely carved out for you? Yeah, definitely. Well, I will say it didn't come easy. And as with most lessons that kind of stick with you throughout your life and are pretty transformational, this one, um, you know, beat me up a lot. Um, and, you know, I was one of those people who, you know, I'm an overachiever, you know, and I would imagine many of your people who work with Rivoli, you know, do a gazillion things <laughs> and are trying to navigate a lot, a lot. You know, I, as a young kid, like I said, kind of came from a fairly meager background. You know, I dealt with homelessness. You know, my mother and father divorced when I was young. And unfortunately, my father wasn't around much because he battled kind of drugs and alcohol addictions most of my life. So I experienced just a lot of like trauma as a little girl um, because I had to grow up pretty fast. You know, my mom had to work. She would leave me um, home alone. You know, I was a latchkey kid, you know, so I had to do a lot of things at a young age. And um, you know, while I know she did the best that she could, and I love my mother to dear to death. I mean, she's one of my favorite people in many ways. Like I was a neglected child. I had to kind of come to terms with that as I got older and did a lot of therapy work, mm -hmm. but that experience of being neglected sort of forced me to learn how to survive very early. And as I moved into adulthood, um, in my sort of twenties and thirties, I did not stop telling myself that same story. So even though I had, you know, achieved success in many ways, gotten into a great college, mm -hmm. you know, graduated, gotten into a great, um, working at a great career when I first came out as a consultant, you know, doing all of the things, the need to survive was still on loop. And so I kept telling myself anytime something came up, whether it was, you know, a vacation, whether it was in this case, health issues, I do not have time to rest. And this ultimately came to a head during a I would say probably like the last like 12 years of my life, I battled like a really, really serious health issue that um, I didn't listen to my body when it was telling me I don't have time to rest. And, you know, I can go into kind of the, the whole story of that just to give more context if that's helpful. But, you know, it was it was really that mind blowing, pain numbing agonizing experience where I was sitting in a hospital bed after kind of a 12 year journey of literally not doing the things that I needed to do 
hitting rock bottom. My best friend, one of my dear best friends comes in into the hospital bed and she says to this, she's like, Kibi, you are one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. You have launched companies, you have you know, traveled the world. I mean, you, people come to you and pay you a lot of money to ask for advice. But what I do not understand is why you will not use that same brilliant energy to heal mm -hmm. yourself. And mind you, I'm sitting in a hospital bed. I am 102 pounds. I have what has now become started with one eight years ago, now 50 blisters, open ulcers that have come consume my body. I have gone through a period where I have not been able to walk because of inflammation, because of fatigue, because of 105 degree fevers, because of ulcers forming all over my body. And I mean, and I don't know how many of you guys, when I say an ulcer, like, as, like just to tell you, like ulcer is literally your skin dying spontaneously but the process of getting an ulcer is one of the most excruciating things you will ever experience it literally feels like you start with a blister that kind of comes and then over the course of like three or four days it literally feels like someone's running a blowtorch up and down your legs mm. it's that, wow. I mean it's, it's that painful and then literally your skin dies and then you have a scab that ends up falling off and you have like a hole in your leg, literally. Like you can see the, the, the dermis of your skin. And then it takes three to six months for this thing to heal. I had 40 of those on my body over an eight year period. And you'd think after two, I would have said, hmm, maybe I should listen to the doctors, Keith. Maybe I should slow down. Maybe I should rest. Maybe I should, you know, do the things that these people keep telling me to do. But no, 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 no. I right. did year two. Kept doing, don't have time to rest. Give me the drugs, give me the drugs. Don't have time to rest. So you're three, you're four. The 10th hospital stay is when this friend told me this. And it wasn't until then, like I said, I'm listening to beeping, you know, machines and I've got IVs all over my body. I'm literally disformed. Like the, 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 the deformation of my body at this point is so profound that when she walked out of the room, oof. All I could do is like not start crying. I mean, I literally just started bawling because I'm looking at myself and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And it was in that moment that I finally asked that pivotal question, which was, why are you so afraid to rest? Why are you so afraid to rest, Kibi? And in sitting in that, in that moment is when the journey began to the power of the pause. Mm, I just got, it's like full body chills. It's powerful. It's a, it's an extremely powerful story, Kibi. Um, so after that moment, and you had said something that really hit me when I was listening to some of your previous interviews too, said rest is an act of trust. Mm. That's it. I mean, that's literally what I began to get to as I began to really just unpack this I was like what are you telling yourself what is this story you've been telling yourself that is not just allowing you to see the obvious Kibi you know like forget like the power of the pause at this point like I'm just talking about like getting out of bed you know what I mean like yeah. I'm just talking about like sure. not being in pain you know I mean not dealing with the agony you know my husband he would just hold me at night because I would just be in such agony and I would just be sobbing and so that first question began 
the state began the began the sort of evolution to the statement that you just shared that you just shared like because yeah. I really began to say what am I not trusting like what mm -hmm. am I afraid is going to happen if I rest and so it forced me to really kind of go back to that little childhood Kiwi and I'm sure many of us you know who've done healing work and who've done therapy work you know you begin to understand that much of the the narrative that you tell yourself is starts in childhood you know and in those moments as a little girl I began to train myself that if I worked hard enough, I could achieve the love and affection of my mother. You know, I could never have to be homeless again. I could, you know, and, and it's interesting. I, I don't know. Have you got, how many of you all have are familiar with a movie called Boomerang, which was um, a, a film by Eddie Murphy, um, kind of in the 90s, uh, kind of black cinema. So if you guys haven't heard of it, go check out Boomerang. But the star of this movie was an actress named Robin Givens. And she played a character named Jacqueline. And in the movie, basically, Eddie Murphy plays the dog. You know, he's kind of like the dog player of all players. And he ends up getting, he meets his match in this woman, Jacqueline. And so the tables turn, basically. And that's why it's called Boomerang. And Jacqueline, I mean, I watched this movie probably when I was, maybe like, you know, 12, 13, 14. The epitome of who I wanted to be. I mean, boss be you know not to like be you know sort of, but I mean just like yes. beautiful like suits laid to the gods like you know she was the president of this global company she could speak French and she could speak English and she would just handle these people in these boardrooms and I was like I want to be her <laughs> you know, I saw her you know because again media matters you know you see a yeah. black woman like running things and I was like okay I can see this and so yeah. as I began to equate okay well how does she have this I said, okay, well, she went to a good school and she worked really hard. And so that was the narrative I began to tell myself, if I don't want to ever have to deal with some of the things that I had to confront as a little girl, I need to work hard. Now, right. that's there's a level of, of, of working hard that is healthy and there's a level of working hard that is not. And I definitely, over the course of my life, began to overcompensate and never quite understood that the, that the harmony needs to be there. And so it was during all of this healing work and unpacking work that I began to understand, oh, so this is the narrative I've been saying. So mm -hmm. what if I were to just flip that on its head? And I'm saying, you know, this is a lot of therapy, y'all. So I'm not saying that it just happened overnight, <laughs> but it was reading, it was therapy. I mean, I started doing Reiki work. I, you know, I was already seeing a therapist. I just really started to do work that got back in touch with my baby child and just starting to tell myself, Kibi, it's okay. Like you're not in survival mode anymore. And so what if you were to lean into this idea of resting being the cure? Mm -hmm. You know, resting being the antidote. And it sounds very simple. Well, of course you rest. But I was excited about the idea. And over time, this became clear because I literally took a six month pause. Like when I got out of that hospital, I finally just said, Kibi, take six months off, you know, and again, the friends who were just telling me you need to do it. And I said, oh, you know, what? I'm going to do it. Let me just trust it. And when I tell you what happened after that six months, <laughs> the results tenfold everything that I had been working for, you know, I mean, first of all, I healed, right. You know, mind you 10 plus years of dealing with this. And in six months, just focusing wholly on my healing, complete transformation, you know, like wow. no more fevers, you know, all of my ulcers healed. I was able to get proper doctors and get them getting me on the right medicine and everything. My strength was coming back. But separately from that, I mean, I launched, I re-engaged my coaching company. And in the first half of the year, I made more money 
as a coach working literally a fourth of the time than I did in my entire last, my entire last job annual salary. You know, I I mean, just, and, and just example after example, I mean, you know, opportunities were coming my way and I was like, oh, oh, okay. So this is, and so I began to really lean in and I was like, okay, well, what did I do? Like, how did I shift? And so this is where a lot of my talk comes from and sort of just really begin to, um, put some sort of structure and understanding the steps that I took and some of the mindset shifts, which I'm happy to sort of talk through for listeners, but that was really the beginning of the process. And the first step was reminding myself that if you aren't able to rest, it's because you're not trusting something. Yeah. And so go to the heart of what it is you're not trusting. And from there you can find the faith and the give yourself permission to actually rest. Mm, I love that. Give yourself permission to rest. The inner child work is, I keep using the same word powerful, but it really is. So I've been on a healing and a spiritual journey for the past about six years. And I keep going back to that inner child and it's like different Mm -hmm. ages and like going back to different ages and different stages of that child self and kind of like wrapping her in my arms now and saying, Hey, it's okay. Like we're good. And the rest too, is just it's one of those things that I really grappled with because I hit burnout a few years ago. I think it was 2019 that I hit burnout and mine was a three month pause, but that was like a forced pause. Like it wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to take three months off. It was like, I literally cannot form a sentence for three months. And then you like try to keep going and keep going. And then I got to the point where the rest was almost addictive like it, it, I, I went the opposite way, right? Where I was like, I don't want to do anything productive. I just <laughs> want to stay in this comfort of the rest because it felt so good to work on that part of myself and to allow that part of me to say, okay, it, it's okay to sleep. It's okay to, yeah. to, to sit here with myself, to feel my emotions, to like go through it and to let it to cry. Cause I, I got to the point where I don't like crying in front of people at all. And so I would wait until I was like in a dark place where nobody could hear me, nobody could. And then I would give my myself permission to cry. And it felt so good just mm-hmm. to have that like energetic release of whatever I was holding on to. And recently um, it, it wasn't ulcers, but it was eczema for me at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. And the skin, I learned talking to a mentor, uh, anything that manifests in the skin is about being seen, which I felt was so yeah. on point and so crazy <laughs> that like different things and different diseases in our body can yeah. manifest based on how we're feeling. Yeah. So going back to that and, and feeling seen, was it for you? One, how do you define success? Because from an outside perspective, you are extremely successful. You've come up, your your background, your story as a black woman, you have, I mean, you have made it. But how has your definition of success changed from before you found the power of rest to after? And how how does that being seen kind of fit into to your story? Yeah, well, it's interesting you talk about the scene because I've heard, I've read that too. And so I'm so glad you said that because I too b- began to understand that my ulcers and the, the skin manifestation of a lot of my um, disease, as you said, was my inner child wanting to be seen. 
Mm-hmm. You know, my inner child wanting to be held, you know, so that's just, it's a beautiful, um, I think image just for, for listeners to kind of understand and like, see like what is in t- inside of you that's longing to be seen, to be heard yeah. and to be validated. So I, that's so great. But you know, it's interesting. I don't know if my definition of success has necessarily changed more so evolved. You know what I mean? Because listen, mm-hmm. I still want to make money. Like I still want to, you know, sell a company for hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, I still would love to right. have some of that, you know, sort of that success. Um, but I've also became, began to understand the, this concept of harmony. And, and I do a lot of talking around this idea of like harmony versus balance. Cause I think people achieving balance is a lie. Like people have been bamboozled, bam, balance is not the goal. <laughs> it is a lie. And I can tell you why, because balance inherently has a trade-off built into it in order to have one thing. And I think about balance in terms of a seesaw, you know what I mean? Like in order to have one thing, one thing goes up and then the other thing has to go down and sort of vice versa. Yeah. And the idea of, you know, saying I'm going to not spend time with my kids in order to, you know, go to work. I mean, who wants to do that? Like, that's crazy. No right. one can make that choice because we are loving people and it makes us feel guilty. Um, so I completely don't like that idea because it places your mindset in a space of lack. And lack is Mm -hmm. never a good place for you to do anything that is going to be successful. Harmony, on the other hand, and the definition of harmony is, you know, sort of two musical chords kind of moving in the same progression at the same time, creating a pleasing, a pleasing sound. And if you think about that in the same context of like kind of success versus rest, that you can actually have success and you can actually have rest at the same time if you operate in a place of harmony. It's just that there's more, and it, and it allows for more flow and you can consist and you can always still move forward because the other thing is balance. In order to keep something in balance, you kind of have to stay in one place because you're consistently trying to like keep your position sort of steady. Whereas with harmony, you can actually move forward. And so the entire concept of harmony allowed me to reframe this idea of success and understand, wait, I don't actually have to give up my understanding and my hopes around success. I just have to layer in placing power in the space of, of, of rest mm-hmm. and, and, and all of the other things that were kind of like falling to the wayside because I was so intent on the working part. And so that's really where I say it's evolved because now, you know, success for me is, as you said, literally doing nothing or <laughs> spending time with my family, you know? And the other thing I would say is, you know, I, I'm an advocate of people redefining what rest is, you know? Cause I think sometimes mm-hmm. we think rest means like I have to go on vacation or like I have to sit in a room by myself or I have to sleep. I don't believe in that. I think rest is literally doing anything that gives you joy. That is how I define rest. So you can rest in community. You don't have to be by yourself. You can, um, You don't have to go on vacation. I mean, like rest could be going for a walk. It could be going skating. It could be going, you know, on a, um, a boat ride, you know, and I encourage Mm -hmm. a lot of my clients when you start thinking about the things that give you joy, which typically involves you going back to your childhood self. Cause a lot of times we don't really think about that, but what are the things that as a kid, you just did for hours and hours, something that really feeds your soul, that feeds your soul. Yeah. Yeah. But if you redefine rest, then you don't necessarily have to like go on vacation for two weeks. Now you can. But you can rest in the midst of huge success. And that was a revolutionary way for me to re- to rethink success. And therefore, I didn't have to feel guilty about my ambition. I didn't have to feel guilty about the fact that I love to work. But it did give me, again, permission. And I have to give 
a shout out to Dr. George, because this, he is the one who kind of taught me this idea. He's another amazing coach, this idea of giving myself permission. And I was like, I can give myself permission to lean into the power of rest just as much as I lean into the power of working. I love that. It goes back to the point too, where people come back from vacation and they're like, I need a vacation from my vacation. After vacation. Why you go on vacation? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You're not resting. You're so focused on, oh, I have to do this. Or I have to do this. Or I have to wake right. up. Early, or I have to, you know, and yeah. it's hard, I think of laughter too, in that rest, like being mm-hmm. able to be Absolutely. your old child self and, and play. It's like yeah. playing as adults is so important. And that's where the creativity comes from. That's where your flow state comes from. Like, yeah, so important. So I love that you brought that up too. And the harmony, it's funny you mentioned that because that really came into my field um, last year is we've been working on a, on a community for Ridley on the background, which will come out later this year. But I really got into uh, hummingbirds. I had one visit me in a dream and it was super vivid. And uh, so I started really researching hummingbirds and harmony and all of that stuff because a lot of the the uh what we've said with Ridley is finding that that work-life balance and I'm like we've been using the word wrong this whole time like this whole time <laughs> and, um, I was like it's it's harmony and it has a lot to do with frequencies too so we all operate on on frequencies and we can hire that frequency we can be in like low stages I have Another mentor of mine um, that teaches her program is called the Feel Good Life. Uh, um, it's I think it's Isabel Tierney. I think is her last name. Um, I'll put it in the show notes after if anybody's interested. But she goes through the red zone, the yellow zone, and the green zone, and it's all about frequency of emotions and harmonizing those frequencies and like how to raise them and stay in what she calls the green zone. And it that with the frequency of harmony and I had it explained to me, like in nature, you have a population of foxes and you have a population of rabbits. Well, you can't have a balanced population of both because they'll, I mean, both of them are either going to die or you're going to have an overrun population of both. But there's a harmony that happens in nature too between both of them. So if there's more rabbits one year, then the the foxes will go into mating season earlier. So it will harmonize that and they can move forward and thrive. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot to be learned from just looking around in nature, you know, Mm -hmm. and like you said, just pausing because you're absolutely right. And I love mm-hmm. the frequency thing. I mean, I have to talk about that. I haven't heard it from the context that you just described. So I'll definitely check out her work. But this idea of like just operating at a high vibration versus a low vibration. I feel like right now our world is very low vibration because we are in fear. I mean, you know, and fear inherently is what causes you to not be able to rest. As I say, I mean, what are you afraid of? What are you not trusting? So the mm-hmm. fact that we're operating from a place of fear because of all the change is causing such low vibration exchanges. So the more that we can slow down, the more that we can rest, the more that we can pause, the higher the frequency we all be mm-hmm. able to operate at. And, you know, just the solutions and the the abundance and the, you know, the good that comes out of that is, you know, it's immeasurable. Yeah. yeah. It really Especially is. on the other side of a pandemic, um, as humans, we co-regulate. <laughs> So even though, you know, a lot of our uh, relatedness is now in the virtual space, we still pick up on 
social cues, physical cues from other people. And we all know that, I mean, we just all came fresh off of the holidays. So we know who <laughs> raises our vibration, lowers our vibration. Um, and it, it's constantly shifting culturally. So it's just, uh, it's so good to be deeply aware of what are those physical symptoms in your body, whether it's inflammation, whether it's, for me, I, I don't regulate my breath really well. So I would love to hear about your uh, experience with meditation um, and how that maybe has transformed your life. But um, it's something that people just, I I'm, I think is, or people, people are getting more aware of it which is good, but we have a long way to go. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that's why I'm on a mission. Like I said, I'm like literally building an army of women and men and just people who are all about like, you know, I call it operating from a rest first centered mindset. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting your comment about breath because, you know, as a young kid, I was known for speaking very quickly and even now I still do, but yeah. um, as I began to get kind of older and got a little bit of support with some sort of speech work, I began to realize I wasn't breathing. And so in my early kind of developments from a, you know, speech kind of perspective, I began to sort of regulate my speech. But as I got older, you know, when you're dealing with more stress and more, you know, sort of um, pressures, I began to subconsciously stop breathing, you know? And so a lot of my work with um, some of the healers and the spiritual teachers that I work with was around just beginning to be more conscious of breath. And so to your point, I mean, one of the biggest things that's been in instrumental in my healing work has been a consistent meditation practice, a consistent prayer practice, because I'm a believer and um, being, it's, it's the mindfulness. I mean, you'd be amazed, like so many of us walk around as zombies, like we're just not aware of our feelings. We're not aware of what's happening in our body, to your point, the regulation that we need to do just to kind of keep things um, mm -hmm. in a space of harmony and a space of um, just like kind of just mindfulness, you know, and that word gets used a lot, but it is a really specific thing to be um, kind of centered on um, that's been just so helpful for me. I will also say, and this is something that I do a lot with my clients, is there is a um, coach kind of a guy named Shirzad Shamin, and he wrote a book called Positive Intelligence, which I read earlier this year that literally changed my life. <laughs> and his teachings are centered in this idea of Again, we all have these experiences that have happened as when we were children, and they typically produce sort of like archetypes in terms of the types of what he calls saboteurs that show up in our minds whenever we're triggered by something that makes us afraid. And he came up with this idea that there's sort of like, I think, nine or 10 kind of archetypes. The first one is the judge, which we all have. And that's that voice that starts telling us shoulda, like the shoulda, woulda, couldas. You know, we, we're all, we're shitting all over ourselves. That's kind of the fun way to describe that. But after that, there are like nine sort of archetypes, um, the controller, the hyperachiever, the hypervigilant. I mean, there's all of them. And I'd encourage people to go check it out. Um, but being aware of those archetypes and you, and he has an assessment that you can take that actually helps you understand who you are and mm -hmm. basically kind of every person's different based on your experiences. And so my top three were hyperachiever, controller, and um, I'm forgetting the third one, but hyperachiever, controller were my top two. And again, think about somebody who's not afraid to rest. I'm going to work, 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 and I'm going to do everything I can to control the situation because in my mind, that saboteur is telling me if I control, then I will be okay. Now that's bull crap. And at the right. end of the day, it's a lie. And so he has these other alternative teachings around accessing the sage mind. And a big part of his sage mind work is breath. 
And just, and he has this idea that he teaches you, which are called like PQ reps. So positive intelligent rep, positive intelligence reps. So much like you can build your muscular strength, you can build your positive mental strength by doing reps of a certain type of activity, breath, kind of focusing on sounds, like touch, like doing short little 30 second things just to kind of snap your mind into awareness because the Mm -hmm. the tendency for our mind to go from seeing something triggers fear to saboteur is like instantaneous. I mean, we've been doing it all of our lives. So to retrain your mind that when a trigger comes in, that might cause you to access the saboteur to not lean into it, but instead to pause and then ask yourself a more sage-based question. Well, how is this a gift? Like, what am I teaching? Maybe I can be more empathetic with this person that's doing this thing that I don't like. There's all kinds of stuff he teaches. Um, it allows you to shift. And I have been practicing this for the last like almost 18 months. And when I tell you like the amount of confidence and peace and um, power that I have to move through this very crazy time we're in with a sense of calm and not being afraid to rest has been just like transformational. So I would just definitely recommend readers if you haven't necessarily, um, if you haven't come across that, definitely check that out because it has absolutely changed my life. And all my clients who read it literally tell me, where has this guy been all my life? And <laughs> I am not getting paid. Like he has no idea who I am. Just, I just love the work. So that's so interesting. I wrote it down. I'm, I'm totally going to check it out. I love books like that. Yeah. Um, but you reminded me too on breathing and the pause when you did that gesture of box breathing. And I've been working with my kids on box breathing lately and they've, uh, my son actually for the past few nights, I don't know where the shift came from, but it did. And I'm so glad it came, but I had gotten these stickers and they came late. I was going to put them in their stockings, but they're box breathing stickers. And it's all about the pause. Are those the ones that have texture as well for like soothing? Yeah. Yeah. called Calm strips. And Mm -hmm. so I put one by each of their beds and my son knows that I've meditated for years now. And, uh, right behind me, I actually used to have like a little meditation spot, but I moved it into my room because it was too in the middle of everything. Um, but they'll play with my sound bowls and things. And anyways, so the other night, instead of watching TV, I was so proud of him. He's like, mom, can you do a guided meditation for me? And he was out. And the next morning he was like, man, that meditation really got me. And it just it made me laugh. It was so cute though. It's and he's so been powerful. practicing now with other people. He's like, mom, can I teach other people? He's like, there's this kid in my class that just gets so angry and he starts throwing things. And he's like, is it bad if I teach him how to do the box breathing? And I was like, no, I was like, I think that's amazing. Oh, going the kids back will save us. I love it. A little pause thing. And Pepe is his superpower. That's it amazing. Is. Oh, it absolutely yeah. is. That is wonderful. Yeah. And then touching too is so important. Lindsay, um, you've been doing EFT tapping recently for yes. your nerve too, right? And so when you mentioned mm-hmm. touch, it might it reminded me of the the vagus nerve, the EFT tapping. Have you done that work too? Are you talking talking to me? Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't actually. I'm familiar with it, but no, yeah, I, I will definitely check it out. You know, I think the beautiful thing about the stuff you're talking about, the, you know, the stickers and, you know, like the touch and the sound is that a lot of people can kind of be turned off by meditation because they feel like, you know, you have to go sit and you have to kind of mm-hmm. be right. like a spiritual yogi or guru and everything. And that's absolutely not true. And something as simple as like spending 30 seconds, just like rubbing your fingers together. 
mm-hmm. when you're in, when you're in a, seat, a period of heightened tension or if you're stressed out can it just literally helps stop your mind for you know a brief moment from going down that place if you begin to then also tell yourself okay what's happening like is this fear really real you know am I actually experiencing what I what my brain is telling me right. or is it an emotion that'll just pass you know because the other thing I talk a lot about is you know we're not comfortable talking about emotions in this country at all you know especially in corporate America you know and I right. do a lot of work with my clients around mm-hmm. communication and like getting feedback and so much of that is just being okay being able to talk about your emotions so the first step of the touch and the breathing, you know, and, and um, like I said, even listening, like just closing your eyes and just being hyper, hyper noticing what sounds are around you and just like pay attention to that. It will allow you to get into a space where you can then, like I said, ask yourself, okay, what's actually happening? Like, what am I feeling? Cause fear is a secondary, I mean, um, you know, fear is the underlying emotion typically on top of something else. So somebody's angry, they're actually scared. If somebody's, you know, um, frustrated, they're typically sort of scared of something. Like it typically goes down to what's causing you to be fearful. And yeah. so being able to really begin to own and understand, am I feeling happy? Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling afraid? Like, as opposed to not get you in a space where you can more clearly articulate what your needs are, and then you can solve the, the trust problem. But that's really the process. And over time, as you get more um, skilled, you can do it much faster. But in the early stages, just start with touch. <laughs> Yeah. Start with taking a breath for like, you know, 30 seconds. That's it. And it will absolutely go far. Kind of switch your whole internal landscape into Mm -hmm. something different. Yeah. And then, like I said, ask yourself, okay, what, what, you know, whatever I'm trying to do is an act of trust. So what am I afraid of right now? You know, and you know, one of the things that I talk a lot about my power of the pause is really, like I said, a mindset shift because you start going from, you know, I don't have time to rest. I don't have time to go in on that vacation. I don't have time to do the thing that I love, whatever that joyful thing is. And you start thinking about it from the context of, well, what do I get if I do do those things? You mm-hmm. know, because all the time we start thinking of, well, if I do this and I talk to many CEOs, big, you know, leaders of companies, when I talk, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't have time for this. What are you talking about? I got this, the, you know, I got these, um, staff members. I've got my kids. I've got my boss. Like I don't have time to rest. And I keep saying, okay, all right, let me ask you a different question. What do you think you might gain if you rested? Mm. And then when they think about it, I mean, I want to tell you, and I say, now tell me the last time you actually took some, like you really took some time. How did you show up after that? What were the things you were able to accomplish? What new ideas came to you? What resolutions to problems did you get? You know what I mean? Because I always say nobody wants you to show up as your cranky, annoyed, tired, no freaking idea having self for the most part. And so you're actually doing everybody you love a disservice showing up tired like you are because you're not going to be as patient. You're typically not going to have the best ideas. You're typically going to be prone to making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you think that's what people want. And when you start bringing it to that perspective and you start asking those questions, the honestly narcissistic and selfish nature of not resting come, becomes to, comes to light. Because when you say you don't have time to rest, you're basically telling everybody in your community that you think only you can solve the problem. If you're not there, it won't get done. And when I say that, I'm like, do you do you really hear how like selfish that kind of sounds? <laughs> like how kind of arrogant yeah. it sounds like? <laughs> Right. Like you're, like you're important, but like, are you that important? 
Yeah. No, it's, it's so, so good. Yeah. It's such a good question to ask somebody else, um, particularly people in leadership, um, especially, at least in my experience, like entrepreneurs, business owners, where like they've really taken something and created something out of nothing. They have multiple or many people relying on them for paycheck, you know, livelihood. And I think we really see it at Rivley in, in an interesting place because all of our VAs are managing the crazy calendars that executives have, booking all of the things, even, even the vacations that aren't, you know, maybe even the most restful. And so um, one thing that I will try to echo to not only, you know, my clients, but also VAs that we're training is you're kind of the gate gatekeeper to somebody else's piece a little bit. Like if you can encourage them, like, Hey, maybe takes, like I had a client recently who had experienced a family loss and needed to take some time to process. And I was like, heck yeah. You know, like you absolutely, you need to do that. Um, and not a lot of people will, I don't know why. And maybe it's just me. I feel like it's, little tenfold for women wins a little oh, bit there isn't there's no so doubt hard Absolutely. to 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 look at your life with you know sober judgment and go I really need this break mm -hmm. um and it it's I'm kind of curious like what do you tell um or uh, or what are sort of the prompts and questions that you start asking your uh the people that you're coaching to kind of protect them in a little bit of before they get to that place of ripping their hair out or, or, you know, going crazy or ending up in like a really scary medical situation. You know, what are some of those like yellow flags, red flags, or that people need to look out for, or what are some of the questions that you're asking people mm -hmm. um, to kind of stir that up in them to get yeah. their minds open to the idea of like, okay, I'm not in control of everything. I need to let go. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that is me, like hands raised. So anything <laughs> I say right now, I am talking to myself. I mean, this is yep. the reason why I'm so happy because that I am literally you. And it's funny because I tell my assistant, Elena, all the time, okay, you got to hold me accountable, Elena, because I yeah. am my worst enemy. And so I tell her, if you see me, check me. And so I do give her permission. And so I encourage other, you know, leaders and, you know, entrepreneurs, whoever else out there to just do it because- you you know your 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 um, underbelly right <laughs> like the things that are just ingrained in you their habits but to your point there's a couple of key questions that I'll ask people and this is the thing that typically gets folks especially women especially those with with kids is you oftentimes think about only one half of the equation when you don't think about when you think about the fact that you say I don't have time to rest but there is another trade off. Because when you, and typically like if you're not spending time with like, you know, say if they're working all the time and they don't actually make time to like do things that they love with their kids or their spouse. I said, what, what do you think is happening over here? Like if you tell your boss, sure, I'm there. In lieu of telling your child, I'm going to come to their little league game. What do you think they're saying? Like what, what is the story that your little kid is telling you? Hmm. And when you yeah. begin to kind of go down that journey with them and they realize, oh, that's the part of the equation that most people don't think about. Yeah. And, and when you so keep thinking about it, it's like I said, especially mothers and especially, but even fathers too. I mean, this works with fathers too. Um, I had a client the other day who I was talking about this with, and he's like, yeah, I said, because you were telling, you were always telling a story. 
So whose story matters more? Right. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just lay it out. So if so, cause you're literally telling your sitting your kid, this is more important than mommy showing up for you. This is more important than daddy showing up for you. And if it one time, okay, two times, maybe, but on the third time it's a pattern and the kid is going to start telling themselves one or two things. A, I'm not as important in my life. I mean, in mommy's life, A, B, I need to do more to get mommy's attention so she will show up and that can manifest in negative behaviors, you know, all kinds of attention sitting, but there is a cost and you cannot, you're going to either pay it on the front end or the back end, which end do you want to pay? And I always talk about this idea of, um, there are two types of pain in this world, the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Which one do you want to choose? You, th- there's two. So I am like, let's get into a discipline of rest. Let's get into a discipline of choosing the things. And that's kind of, we get there. So that's the first question I always ask. The second question is just what I said. What are you afraid of? Like, let's really get to the core of like what it is. Cause people, when they say, you yeah. know, that's that surface thing. Like I was like, I don't have time. I don't have time. Okay, cool. Let's stop. What are you afraid of happening? If you don't do X. If you don't rest, what do you think is going to happen? And when you start unpacking that and really getting to the core of what they're afraid of, then we can actually solve that problem. So if the fear is, well, I'm really afraid that if I go on this vacation or if I go to my my son's little league game, that my staff is not going to be able to handle an influx of new, you know, customer requests or something, then I say, okay, then let's solve that problem. So how do we get your staff set up to be able to handle that? What systems do you need to put in place? What training do you need to put in place? Do you have the right people in place to be able to actually do this? Because that's something you can control. Mm-hmm. But let's hold ourselves accountable for the truth is you may not have done everything you need to do to quell that fear. So let's focus on quelling that fear, not making an excuse that you don't have time to rest because that's actually not what's going on here. And again, right. we can begin to unpack those two things you typically get people working on early thinking like, Hmm, you're right. Because mm-hmm. saying you don't have time to rest. It's, it's just an easy way out. It's just lazy thinking, quite frankly. Yeah. So is it a cost or is it an exchange? What do you think? I mean, if you have a son that starts rebelling because they're not getting enough attention, how do you think that's a cost? Or do you think it's an exchange? Oh, that's a good, it's good perspective. So I think that's a cost. But if you caught it at the front end of it, I would rather exchange rest to show up so I don't have to pay that cost. Yeah. I mean, it, the goal is to have people see it as an, to, to move as though it's an exchange. Mm-hmm. Because that's what's operating with harmony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And exchange is harmonious. If you get something, I get something, everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. That is the goal of harmony. It, it equal exchanges. So yes, it could be okay, honey, son. I can't come today, but here's what I can do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. How does that sound? Better. And I think that there's a, a third element or like another group of people who get, uh, the, or often get overlooked is the team that covers you when you're out. Mm-hmm. When you are showing up and saying, I'm the only person who can do that. You are also robbing someone of the opportunity to grow. <laughs> in their career <laughs> and show up <laughs> absolutely <laughs> and so it's great to empower your team to be absolutely. able to handle all of the things while you are gone yeah. um and if they can't handle it then that's you know you come back and like things did kind of go up in flames well then you know that maybe you need to look for a different 
team of people, but. Um... Absolutely. I mean, you hit on the head another principle that I talk about when it comes to having a mindset that leans into the power of the pause, which is shifting from a mindset of um, me to we. So mm-hmm. from me care to we care. And inherent is that exact idea. Because when you think about this idea that like, I don't have time to rest, I don't have time to do all of this stuff. You're inherently focusing on yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like it's me, 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 me. If I'm not there, if I'm not doing this, it's very I, it's very me. When you shift to we care, as I was saying, your resting becomes a love language to the people around you. As you just shared it, because it begins you telling them, I believe in you so Mm -hmm. much that I know that I can walk away and you're going to handle it. Or I believe that you're in my life for a reason because you bring a gift that I need that allows me to do the things that I really love or spend time with my kid. But it's much more communal in its demonstration in a healthy way. To your point, that is what people want. And to your point, when you don't do that, again, what are you telling your team? That I don't think you're good enough. That I don't think you got it. That I don't believe in you. That I don't Mm -hmm. trust you. And who wants to feel that way? Right. Yeah, it goes back to that. And then also allowing them space and the grace to rest too. And encouraging. Yes. Because if they see that happening from the top, then they understand like, oh, this is something that's valued and something that's needed. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and listen, I am, I I work harder than the the next person. So I am not (laughs) about advocating, you know, not, you know, working hard. However, it is about prioritizing a rest first center mindset. And it was interesting, Shastra, because I love what you said when you were talking about, I mean, when you, earlier in our conversation, we were saying, you know, when you leaned into the rest, you kind of didn't want to come back. Like you were like, I really love it. And it's almost like I kind of started maybe, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're like, I kind of maybe felt guilty. And my thing is like, no, 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 no. That is just you detoxing because we have been told Mm. so long, society has made us feel so bad. They've made us think that the only way to receive validation and to be seen as successful is to work and your output, that it's completely got us away from the truth, which is your value and your worth is purely predicated on your existence on this planet. You don't have to do anything besides just exist here and be here in order to know that you are worthy because you are, I mean, there's nothing else like you on this planet. So that in itself is a gift, but society Mm -hmm. makes us think we have to do in order to be valuable. And that's not true. You actually do, your value is given. Now what you create, I'm sorry, your worth is given. Let me rephrase that. What you create can influence the value you're able to add, but your worth is given. So you wanting to rest, you can rest for the next 10 years <laughs> to be able to create value. And then when you are at a point where you're like, I'm ready to create some additional value, some energy, whatever it is you're trying to do, then you can lean into it. But it's, it's, it's just getting people to begin to tap into that truth. And then yeah. that's where you're able to lean into this power. And I always say this, you know, most people aren't getting the goals, they're not achieving the goals that they want, not because they're not working hard enough, it's because they're not resting hard enough. Mm -hmm. Because it's in the rest that the ideas come. You know, it's in the rest that the solutions come. I mean, how many, and I say this all the time, like I have a lot of clients where this happens, like they'll, they'll, they'll be in, be with me in sessions and they'll be like, like so stressed out about something. And I have one woman in particular, like she was a, a new mother and unfortunately they were having to move and they didn't really have, they couldn't find anything. And like, so her pending due date was coming up against this need to move. And she was just so stressed and so stressed. And, and I'm trying to work through it. And, you know, she, she kind of was getting there, but 
at one moment she comes to me on a, she sends me a, a little DM or a video, you know, Marco Polo, which is what we use. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Hey, you know what happened? <laughs> <laughs> My husband was out walking our dog and pushing, they have a, a young child. So this was their second one out and randomly ran across the owner of our building. And out of the blue, the owner was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to sell. Cause that was the issue. I think I'm going to wait another seven months or so. So you guys can stay for as long as you want. And I said to her, now, mind you, the universe was working all along on your behalf. Oh, yeah. You made your life that much more stressful because you just wouldn't pause and just be like, and then you do it like they were going to look at houses. I mean, you got to do your part beyond that. The additional stuff just doesn't serve you. And I said, how many people does that happen to all the time? You wake up one day and then the solution comes and you're like, damn it. Why did I freaking stress out so much? Because you chose to. Yeah. And it, it always seems to come to me too, after surrendering, like after working myself up to the point where I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Power is yours. Like just take over for me. And then the next day it's like, oh, okay. Thank That's you. It. Yeah. <laughs> Thank I mean, you. that was my story. Absolutely. Yeah. That was that, when you're talking about being, this is something came out of 2022 for me and the saying like we are human beings we're not human doings there there's a there's a a thing there's a huge message in that and the fact that we are human beings and especially as women we're magnetic beings and like if you look at reproduction if you look at anything in the human body it's all about standing in our power and being still Mm -hmm. and so I really went into that definition of being still. And then I was told stillness is not static. And that changed everything for me because I was at a point where I was like, okay, I need to be still, I need to be meditating. And I had this whole practice and then it was like, still nothing was moving. And then the definition evolved into this stillness doesn't have to be static. Absolutely. And hiking this weekend and the water was like glass. And my husband decided he was skipping rocks with the kids. And I was looking at the ripples in the water and I'm like, the water can be so still. And even underneath that, it can be so still, but everything is still moving and everything is still connected. And it was just like this beautiful moment of epiphany. That is so true. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's why I say power in the pause, because we all too often think that stillness means laziness you know, stillness is some sort of bad thing. Stillness means, like you said, static, we're not moving. And that's completely the antithesis of it. There is so much happening in the pause. Mm-hmm. And that's the part of the belief system that has to shift. Like there is so much happening in that pause. There are people in your network who are speaking your names in rooms you don't even know about. You know, there is kind of, like you said, healing happening amongst the groups that you're trying to work with. There are conversations being had. You know what I mean? There are ideas being generated in your own mind, in your own spirit that can only be accessed when you are in a stillness and a pause. And that's and a just place quiet where you can actually hear it. And yeah, that, was, exactly. that was another thing that came to, like, it, it hit me like a train. It was so quiet in this little cove that we were in. And my bonus daughter made a noise and it echoed and I could hear it like exactly where it was bouncing off the banks of this little like cove area. And it just, the fact that if we are silent enough 
to hear the answers and to hear the wisdom that's coming through and to hear the ideas and to, to be in that place and pause long enough. Yeah. Let it come in and to even like access our, our inner child or our inner knowing and what our soul knows, like, it's just such a beautiful place to be in. And it's yeah. a powerful reminder too, because yeah. every day, every day I have to wake up and remind myself of the breath that comes yes. And yes. the spirit that is in the breath. And that, that is like why we are alive because of our breath. Yes. And to yes. flow with that. Yes, absolutely. And it's important that you bring up that point, Sasha. It's every day. I mean, like, you know, I think sometimes people can think, oh, we're going to get to this point of enlightenment and all of us. No, it is every day. Mm-hmm. It is every day. It is every day. I have to remind myself there's power in the pause. <laughs> that voice from my childhood is so powerful. Like that saboteur Mm -hmm. is so powerful. So I think that's the other thing for people to understand, like have grace with yourself. Like there are going to be moments where you're not going to remember and you have to continually remind yourself. It is an everyday thing. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when I think about telling people, okay, like, so how do I rest? You know, like, there's sort of like, you need to rest. And it's like, how do I rest? You know, one of which is, like I said, find your joy. You know, you've got to be able to access and know the things that give you joy. So spending time to really ask yourself, what are those things? You know, what are those things, you know, that you used to do? Like for me, I love to bike ride and like, I love going on boats and, you know, being on the water. So those are things that really work for me. That's the first thing, you know, the second thing is, it has to become a discipline. Like it has to be a lifestyle. And this is to the point, it has to be every day. So whether you start with a one-off just to kind of get your muscle going, but at some point it's like once a week, you know, take a quarterly thing, do a monthly thing, whatever that is, but beginning to layer in the habit of consistent rest is the only way that you will not be deprioritizing it when stuff gets hard. Cause that's yeah. when those, those mm-hmm. saboteurs come out. Like that's when all the fears, it's like, no, 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 no. And again, it is, I struggle with this. Like I'm never going to be cured. So I always have to be intentional and say that, you know, and the last thing is just to do it. You know, when people ask me, well, how do you just got to start literally like get a pen, <laughs> write down, I'm going to schedule, you know, 30 minutes once a week, just to do the one thing that gives me joy. And then from there, you know, expand it. Maybe it's twice a week or you take a week off or whatever, you know, but it's, it, it's, it's kind of those three things that allow you to begin to get more control and discipline in your life to be able to do it on a regular basis. And like I said, the, the, the rewards are unmistakable. And I'm sure all of you guys could talk about, you know, you, I mean, just even your experience, Sasha, like, this is what came out of this stillness, you know? Yeah. Same thing for you, Lindsay, you know, and if I go down the list and I talk to people, they all say, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> Everybody can point to a place where it's, it's extremely helpful and has made a huge impact on their life. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, such an amazing conversation. I don't want it to end. <laughs> well, good. Cause I have another question. Oh, good. <laughs> good, good so good. after, so, you, okay. So if, after taking this season of rest in your life at what point in time through going through that because I think that there's also like just this wonderful resiliency to be able to look at going through something like that and say I'm gonna use this I'm gonna use this to you know either glorify my beliefs um, and, uh, you know, in God or whatever else, or I'm going to use this, you know, and really anchor into this as my purpose to 
help other people. At what point in time was that like a, oh, okay, like this is creating the bigger picture of my purpose, either creating a legacy with your children or even just the people that you're coaching. What was that kind of like, maybe it was a series of moments or was there ever kind of like a, oh, this is why I'm here. Yeah, it was definitely um, a series of moments, but it happened quickly, you know, okay. and it, it was just talking to to friends, you know, I mean, talking to other women, especially who, as they heard just me telling them and recounting my story, they were like, yeah, girl, you know, I had this also this other thing that happened to me, or I have this illness, or I have this. And there was a woman in particular, actually, who was an angel sent to me, who, um, is a very, very senior, like she's chief diversity officer of a very, very, very well globally known um, financial services company um, who has a um, chronic illness as well. Cause I ultimately was diagnosed with a chronic autoimmune condition. So that was okay. another part of it. But during my time working through my healing and just meeting another woman who was kind of operating at the level I was operating at and was still succumbing to a lot. I mean, not still was also succumbing to a lot of the things that I was dealing with, we just kind of began to like support each other, you know, and, and, you know, just, you know, cause she had gone through almost like a two or three year period operating at like the highest levels dealing with um, like transnational, I mean, transatlantic travel. I mean, everything you could do to put your body like in the worst place in pain. And I was just like, how in the heck? Oh wait, that was me too. So I can't do anything right. you know, just through that work. I was like, okay. And then I would talk to somebody else and kind of hear their story. And over time, I just realized this is a freaking like epidemic, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think, especially because I was working with a lot of like senior corporate women and entrepreneurs and sort of founders, just, just given my interest in my work, um, I was like, no, like, this is why I went through this. Cause it's, you know, I'm a spiritual person. So I'm always like, why did this happen to me? You sure. know, what, what, cause I mean, when I tell you, you know, my illness, like one out of like 300,000 people get it, you know, it's not, <laughs> you know, and the, so it's like, okay. And right. I've had very, very unique specific. experiences in my life. Yeah. So I was like, okay, there's a reason why all of these things have happened to me. Mm -hmm. So let me ask why. And as I began to do it, the evolution of like, okay, no, this, this is something that we need to talk about more. And then I began to ask and deal with some of my own personal fears just around being more public and doing more public speaking, you know, cause I've always been behind the scenes, you know, I'm a producer, I know how to make stuff happen, right. but this was me leaning into some fears. I think that I had to acknowledge around being more public. And I realized when I talk about this, there is no fear. Like, you know, I could be in front of, a, you know, 5,000 people and talk about this comfortably because it's coming from such an honest and vulnerable and real place. And right. because I am talking to me, like I'm literally coaching myself. Right. So every time you say yeah. it, it's self-affirming, you're testifying to yourself. Right. And so I was like, okay, well, usually when you're operating in a space where there's not a lot of fear, it's because you're in alignment with purpose. And so that's where it mm. became, me. you know, part of my work as a coach will include this just because we are in a very perilous time. I mean, Harvard Medical School did a study which was saying like people who work like 55 hours or more a week have a 33% higher likelihood of having a stroke and 15% more likely to have a heart attack. Wow. I regularly hit 80 hours a week, like nothing. And so when you think about just the like health epidemic, like not only are we talking about strokes and like heart attacks, but we're talking about all right. the other stuff that comes along with it, fibroids and breast cancer. And, you know, I mean, so for me, this was like, I need to help people not die. 
Yeah. You know, and that was really kind of what it became down to because, you know, I, by the grace of God, I'm still here. But like when my friend came to me in the hospital, she was literally leaving saying, I'm afraid you're going to die. Like there was no sugarcoating it. And I could not help but look around and be like, she's right. Yeah. So that level of urgency is where I think I began to realize, no, 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 like this can't wait. And there aren't a lot of women of color, I would say, also talking about this. And I think as Black women, especially, just given our journeys in this country, you know, the vestiges of slavery and just, you know, all the sort of intergenerational traumas and like legacy stuff that we're dealing with, it, it's even more acute because, you know, we we have really never really had, I think, the luxury to rest just because so much of our life has been about survival, yet it is killing us. I mean, one of my dear friends died at 40 two of breast cancer. You know, I have another friend who was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. She's 40. I mean, you know, it's just so like personally too, when I think about the the desire to see, you know, sort of change and healing in my community, that was um, a big part of it. Yeah. On that note, um, I'm going to get a little deeper if, if you're okay with it, because okay. along with um, inner child healing comes ancestral healing. I feel like that's kind of the next step, looking at family constellations and ancestral things and healing generational patterns. And what you just said about, you know, everything that your ancestors have gone through for you to be here and everything that you're having to overcome, it's like making me extremely emotional. Um, how has that affected your journey? And like, mm -hmm. I, I know, <laughs> sorry, this is, uh, mm -hmm. okay. It's like, it's the weight of it is over overwhelming because I know my family, uh, and my ancestral stuff, like I'm, I'm in the, the depths of that and mm -hmm. it doesn't compare to what your ancestors have been through. So I'm, I'm wondering how that has affected your journey and, and how you're, you're carrying that and how you're healing like what that process looks like yeah no um it's I'm glad you asked that question because it actually was very very instrumental and I'll tell a little story so part of my healing work involved working with this um kind of Nigerian priest who was you know and, and listen I'm Christian so it was a little bit of a stretch for me to kind of go and sort of begin to do some work with somebody but I, a good friend was just like I just want you to I he was he just said I care and I can see something's going on so I decided to go on this journey and so part of my work with him um involved me sort of thinking about my ancestral kind of you know past in um in terms of the uh, the continent, you know, and you just kind of more more broadly. And he said something to me that was really interesting. Again, I think I shared with you, you know, I don't, I'm not very close to my father. Like I said, my father wasn't been a part of my life. You know, he was a victim of drugs and alcohol. His mother was an alcoholic. I mean, there's just a long history of kind of drug and alcohol addiction. And he, the healer was like, Hebe, in order for you to heal, you're going to need to go back and talk to your ancestors and just really kind of start talking to them because yeah. I, there's like a, there's like a heavy spirit on, you and this lineage that's trying to kind of kill you and so you kind of need to go to your ancestors to be able to have them help you but you need to pray to your father's ancestors mm -hmm. and I thought that was really unique because historically you know I go to my mom you know strong line of strong black women and blah 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 and I was like my father you know I don't even know my dad like I don't know anything about his family you know and all that kind of stuff and he's like you got to figure it out and so over the course of probably like two or three months 
And he was like, you need to pray to them every day and kind of ask for covering. And I was like, well, who do I pray to? And he said, just start praying. And it was through that work of just praying. And it started off like, I don't know y'all, but I'm praying to you. <laughs> and, <help me> <laughs> and then I was like, well, I'm sure there's some people out there. You know, it was just very basic. Like, I don't know y'all. But during that process, it forced me to begin to see my ancestors on my father's side more holistically and began mm -hmm. to acknowledge that I had been pigeonholing my father. And the only part of him that I could see was the negative stuff. And as I began to think, I was like, well, who's to say that? Like there, this, this ancestral lineage doesn't have kings and queens and amazing healers and amazing sure. teachers. And I just began to access those people. Mm -hmm. And through that, I know it had a lot to do with the internal healing in my body because I was able to begin to see the holistic part of me more holistically as not being bound only by the bad and the bondage, but by the abundance and the gifts and the power. And so to your point, that is also a big driver of like this work for me, you know, from a cultural, like you said, kind of ancestral sort of legacy perspective too, because I know so many of the people in my community, especially black women are kind of being bound by those limited ideas mm -hmm. of who we were. And part of that's just, you know, our history is not really taught in this country. Part of it is, um, like you said, just intergenerational curses, you know, you, you get reared in it. Therefore you do it when you get older and you rear it in. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's stop this and begin to actually access the totality of who we are as a people. And one of my dear friends, my best friends, um, she does a newsletter called Black to School. And it's interesting because she was like, you know, so much of our history as, you know, sort of African-Americans, Black people in this country kind of starts with slavery. But there's so much more that existed before our, our time. And so I think that journey for me with my father was a similar thing. It's like, how do I start to see more? And then within that, the identity of who I am, getting back to this idea of just being becomes much more full and much more rich and much more full of love and much more full of abundance. And that's the energy that you need to move through the world with, period. So yeah. it was absolutely powerful. And again, you know, that was a very personal journey for me. But when I talk to people and I tell this story for those folks who kind of want to go deeper, I do begin to uncover that because um, mm. it's it's big, you know, and, and it's the elephant in the room. And I think we kind of talk about it at a very sort of like macro level in many ways, just, yeah. really but like, it's a very, very intimate kind of spiritual walk that we all kind of have to go through in your own way, you know, but mm -hmm. I think to be, be willing to ask that question, huh? Well, what is the totality of my story as a right. black person, Indian person, Asian, I mean, whatever the case is, you know, and I'm from Seattle, Washington. So, you know, very diverse, not a large, not a lot of large black community, but the diversity of my Asian brothers and sisters, my native brothers and sisters, I mean, similar journeys, you know, in terms of not being able to understand the full totality of our in impact on this world, um, yeah. being a huge influence on just how we see ourselves, you know, and that's a big part of what the healing is about and trusting our ability to rest, you know? It's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing and, and going deeper with me. Um, yeah, that meant I honor your journey. I mean, it's important for all of us to not be afraid to have the, these deeper conversations because when you get to know people and really understand like what's driving their current sense of self and purpose and thought and mentality and everything, it just helps you understand each other mm -hmm. better.
And that's the only way we're going to get past through, past all the stuff that we're dealing with right now. Right. Thank and you. And it helps you access that grace and forgiveness for other people, which can totally. be hard. And that, totally. those are things that we carry, we end up carrying around and we don't even realize it until we dig in. So you dig, I mean, that's the generational curse. Like you're literally yeah. carrying this unforgiveness, this hatred, this shame, this whatever it is, generation to generation. And it's only when you stop and yeah. actually ask, okay, well, why is this the only thing that I'm defining myself by, defining my right. family, defining my mother by, defining my father by, you know, and it allowed me to really begin to claim my father because for years, and this is another interesting story. So my mom and I have a unique relationship. I love my mother to death, but there's some, some challenges um, just from like an emotional development perspective and the fact that I had to grow up so, oh, so sure. much as a kid. And I was telling her this story and how, because of that, I ended up acknowledging my father on Father's Day for the first time a couple of years ago. Because typically I would acknowledge my mom and be like, happy Father's Day, mommy. And she was sharing with me that I didn't realize that me doing that had actually kind of hurt her feelings. Because she was like, well, why don't you celebrate me anymore on Father's Day like you used to? And I said, well, you know, mom, this is what happened. And I realized that I actually don't want you to be my father. Like I have a father. So even though he ain't crap, you know, in terms of his support of me and, and taking care of me and all the, th all the things you did, he still gave birth to me. And I have to honor him for that. Because if, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be on this earth. And so I'm at least going to celebrate that part of his um you know, his, uh, his impact on my life. And so, you know, and she had her feelings about that, but I had to just own that truth for the first time. And it was, um, it was very freeing, you know, cause I was like, my dad is still, you know, a big part of me, good and bad. And so that's mm -hmm. the thing that I want to celebrate. So mm -hmm. it was a big deal. That's and I'm, I'm assuming that you did a, a good amount of this work after kind of seeing the other, the other side of what, where rest came in to be able to, nourish you to be able to go to be able to have like the wherewithal to even begin to examine those relationships yeah um, well there was a there's been evolution I mean I would say like okay. in my early 30s I went through a really bad period of depression and it was mm -hmm. prior to the health stuff but it was you know again like the overachiever that you know just sure. kind of like uh I long story short, 08 financial crisis destroyed everybody in the, you know, in turn, and I being this very successful, I like, I had three pieces of property. I mean, two pieces of property before the age of 30. Like I had done yeah. all this stuff. Sure, so sure. you had this height of success. And then I made some bad choices that kind of brought it all crashing down. So that was the first experience where I had to be like, Oh, like what, where is my sense of self, my sense of worth, you mm. know, kind of stuff. So I did do a lot of work, um, in those early years, but there still was some, re you know, residual stuff that I think just happened. Sure. So it was the health thing that I think definitely allowed for the next level. But I mean, I would say, you know, just being a reader and somebody who is a curious kid that mm -hmm. I have always at various phases, not been afraid to ask the tough questions and, or when someone said to me, Hey, Kibi, you know what? I think you might want to examine this. I, um, I kind of listened, um, and would do some work, work honestly came out of desperation you know what I mean like my father I found there's a the history of mental health illness in my, on my dad's side of the family that I didn't know about so I sort of have this depression depressive episode breakdown and I'm like what's going on like I right no one in my family that I know of but there's a whole side of my family that I didn't really know about and so that was the first journey in terms of just understanding me more holistically in terms of that part and then over time you know just kind of continuing to do the work but I was just so depressed I didn't want to feel that way anymore. And so, yeah. 
I just, what do I do? <laughs> and so that's what started the first thing. So I don't know. I wish I could say I was that, you know, woke for lack of a better word, but I'm not, you know, just <laughs> enough suffering. You start pushing and you're like, just help me, please. You know, so yeah. my role now is like trying to get people to not have to go to where I've had to go and listen and, you know, just kind of start doing the work now. Your story can really be a survival guide for somebody else. Yeah. And I think that's incredible that you're willing to share it. Oh yeah. I mean, listen, at this point, you know, I, again, we talk about purpose. I just feel like that's one of the reasons why I'm here because I have had, mm. and I am grateful for this, but a non, a very unique life. You know what I mean? Like I, a lot of things that people feel like you did this and you did that. I'm like, yeah. And so I've oftentimes asked myself, you know, why? And I realize I think it's the transparency and the ability for me mm. to just speak from experience and say, listen, you know, I am somebody who is here to be a vessel of whether it be knowledge, whether it be, you know, a warning, <laughs> whether it be, you know, inspiration, like whatever the case is, getting back to this idea of stories, you know, where we started, like I am a storyteller. My life is, it tells a story. And my goal is that whatever part of this life that you get connected to or you hear, it allows you to grow. It allows you to move forward in whatever way that you need to, to kind of become the best version of yourself, you know, cause that's really what I say at my core, um, you know, I was put on this earth to do. The thing I love about stories too, is that they hold different pieces of information for us that unlock when we're ready for that information too. So even if you've had a story read to you, if you've read a story, if you've told a story, if you've heard one, going back to that same story mm -hmm. and getting a different piece of wisdom out of it for that yes. time in your life is just yes. I don't know, my favorite mm -hmm. thing. Yes, that is very true. That is very true. Yeah, I have I a know. similar, no, not no. exactly, but uh, a parallel experience with my family growing up. And I have... um two dads really. And the one that was in my life is amazing. And he taught me so much. And the one that gave me life is now in my life and having just those radical honesty, open conversations to like, let go of anything that was held over those relationships before my existence were super healing. And then going back to it after those conversations were held and going through that shadow work again with a different light and, and seeing the same story from a different perspective um, has been also super helpful. And it's going back to that inner child, but seeing your parents as their inner child and oh. meeting them as children has opened up something else that is just insane. Yes. And then Absolutely. going back to ancestral lines on both sides and seeing how those affect your life and your soul and your story and things yes. like that. It's just, it's, it's incredible to hear your side and, and what you've been through and, and how you've used that to inform what your story is on a, a whole level, because they say there's 12 perspectives of truth and we usually are only yeah. <laughs> And so going back to your story and picking out different information and like putting these puzzle pieces or these pieces of the pie to create your whole, yeah. your whole thing, your whole message. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. And it's extremely inspiring. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, I'm just, it's a blessing to be able to do that. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of people tell me, you know, like, God, you have such a like non-traditional sort of, you know, kind of background, like all the things that you've done. And I said, yeah, but I guess that's the point, you know, all those different, right. um, you know, inflection points are all about, you know, teaching me a lesson and obviously allowing it to be a, um, you know, an opportunity for other people to, you know, take whatever they can away from it. Um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But if you were to ask me, like, why am I doing this? I would have been completely like, I have no idea. But now I look back, I'm like, ah, yeah, I get it. That makes sense. <laughs> so, totally, totally wise words. Very wise words, Sasha. <laughs> somebody asked me the other day. Um, it's actually somebody from he was a substitute teacher in high school that has kept up, I guess, through Facebook. And I haven't talked to him in probably 15 years. And he reached out to me on Facebook and I hadn't talked to him. The last message was like from 2008. And it was, he asked these like very deep questions and gets you to think, and I love it. Um, but I read my answer from 2008 and I was like, wow, like I, I don't, I don't know where I was, but I found some pieces of wisdom in that. And he asked me a question again. He's like, what is one piece of advice that you would give to somebody now after you've been through, you know, what you've been through. And so I want to ask you the same thing. And then the follow-up question to that is what would you have put on your headstone hypothetically at this point in your life? Oh, <laughs> well, I can tell well, you the, the latter one, but um, I'll start with the first one. Okay. So, um, so say the first one, again. what question would I say that again? What's one piece of advice you would give somebody after going through what you have? And I was like, I have to I have to go down to one. <laughs> I know. One. That's yeah. hard. <laughs> I know. You know, I mean, I say, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Life is long. Mm -hmm. And I say that because as somebody who was very, 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 very like intent on like having all of this stuff happen at like a very young age. And as I share with you, I mean, you know, won an Emmy, bought property, you know, did all these things all before the age of 30, you know, and mm -hmm. um I woke up one day and I was like, oh God, like, what do I, what do I do next? And inherent in that statement is a couple of things. A, just trusting the process. Cause there were a lot of times where I was going through stuff, the suffering of my health issues. I mean, jobs where I wrote my, you know, resignation letters six, seven, eight times, but because of mentors or just God or somebody saying, no, not quite yet. I didn't. And then getting on the other side and that there's just a lot to learn. And so if you can just sort of acknowledge that life is long and there are going to be moments where you're not going to know the answers, but it's okay to just exist in that lack of clarity because it will become clear to you, the less stress, the more fun, the more the learnings will be in your life. And that's just you know, for younger people too, I think who are kind of so much about immediate gratification, you know, you can find it immediately, like being able to instill that understanding and that principle to operate with is so, 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 so important to me, you know, as a, as kind of a mentor now. Um, so that's, that's the thing I would, I would give advice around. Um, and the other thing is just be curious, like just learn how to ask questions. We don't know how to ask questions in this country very well. And really in the world, you know, we do a lot of assumption stating, thinking it's a question <laughs> instead of just asking. So just be curious, you know, because that's the best way to understand what's going on with you, what's going on with people 
and how to build that deeper connection. And that's really what's going to allow you to be successful no matter what, because no matter what you're doing is all about people. Does not matter whether you're selling insurance or a teacher, you are dealing yeah. with people. And that is the only way to be successful is if you can do it in an effective and, and, um, and, uh, you know, just like productive way. My headstone. <laughs> I know it's kind of a weird question. Easy question. I, don't question. Know <laughs> I know. Well, well, and it, 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 so my headstone would say, "Keep me Anderson busy making billionaires." Ooh. And the reason why I say that is because so my why, when I think about why I was put on this earth, is around mm. helping to influence sort of intergenerational wealth creation within the Black community, and I um, have a. Um, movement I've started, which is called 100 Black Billionaires. And the reason why I use billionaire is because when you think about like billionaires, they actually, from a philanthropic perspective, do a lot of giving to support, you know, solving a lot of the world's problems. You think about Bill and Melinda Gates, the Gates Foundation and healthcare, sure. you know, Jeff Bezos, I'm sorry, um, his ex-wife, you know, doing a lot in education, you know, all the kind of stuff. And so <laughs> we don't actually have the equivalent of that level of wealth to influence sort of solving our community's problems within sort of the black community. And so for me, when I think about billionaires and there's about 2000, but there's about 2,300 billionaires in the world of them, like 10 are black. So that's like less than 1%. And when you think about the tremendous amount of like value creation, you know, whether it be from slavery days, picking cotton to just like music, entertainment, you know, finance. I mean, we've done a lot in this world and we don't necessarily have the wealth to reflect that. Mm -hmm. So I want to influence going from like 10 to 100, like 10xing that. And within that, being able to influence our ability as a community to solve our problems, whether it be, you know, education, poverty, recidivism, health issues, all of the above. And so my slogan is busy making billionaires, because for me, that is an indication of busy making kind of change in this world to solve and improve the condition of, you know, Black people. But within that, it's all people, you know, because I believe that. When everybody rises, I mean, what, you know, the, the, the tide, what is it? A rising tide affects all boats. So the more we can collectively mm. come together and use our resources, the more the entire world will be benefited by that collective action. I love that. I love it. <laughs> I really do. I've had, there's, there's been a lot of work in the last year in uh, changing my perspective and relationship with money too, and the frequency of money and kind of healing that because I had for a long time, a very negative, uh, like money was connected to power and power and sex. And like, it was all, you know, melded together as one. And so I spent a lot of time, like separating those three out and then like individually healing my relationship with each one of them. And the last one was money. Cause I felt like it was the hardest thing and having the realization that the frequency of money is dependent on your relationship with it and that money is a tool here in this earth to be able to have and give abundance to and to help make big changes in the world so the fact that you're doing that is beautiful yeah no that's it exactly that's it yeah absolutely so it's not about the money, it's about the impact and changing the world, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. How can how can we be of service and help to you? Oh my goodness. Well, rest. So just please <laughs> like claim that power. Talk about the power of the pause, obviously, in your families, your workplaces, your friend circles, the whole nine, because I'm absolutely, like I said, on a mission to build this movement, you know, much more broadly. Um 
you know, I mean, if anybody's interested in, you know, connecting with me, whether it be for coaching work, I do speaking engagements, I do workshops, um, you know, you can go to my website, which is lifeeditor.co. So lifeeditoraltogether.co is the website. You can find me on Instagram, social media, LinkedIn at Kibi Anderson, just K-I-B-I Anderson. Um, and then just keep me, keep me and my rest in your thoughts. <laughs> like I said, it is a day-to-day thing that I consistently am, you know, reminding myself about. Like I said, this isn't something that you sort of master. It's just about mastering the fact that you will always have to deal with it. And so mm-hmm. what and accepting that you talk about acceptance, I, I operate from a mind from a radical acceptance. Yep. So knowing that about myself, it's like, what do I need to do to put in place to make sure that I don't succumb to those, um, you know, kind of those saboteurs in our, in our mind. Um, but yeah, that's it. I mean, just, you know, spread more love, you know, let people know that <laughs> getting help is the best thing you can ever do for yourself. So I will plug Rivoli in this and just let you know that getting an assistant two years ago was the best thing that I decided to do because it helped me do more resting and also helped me do more to empower people to help me uh, change the world. So continue awesome. to prioritize your rest. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kibi. I have one final question for you before we kind of wrap this up. Um, And it has to do with the new year. So we've been talking a lot within like our leadership at Rivley about how 2023 has brought in almost a different approach um, into the new year and how March really brings the spring equinox and how that's really when everything comes back to life. And so these first few months of the year still feel very restful and kind of like we're in this stage of hibernation and uh, resolutions came up and we're like, man, I don't even feel like I want to make resolutions yet this year. Like it's, it's almost a time of reflection. So I'm really curious to see how the power of the pause and the new year for you has, has kind of started off and what your views are for this next year. Yeah, I too am a fan of, of not doing resolutions. Um, and, you know, I took three weeks off intentionally, you know, so I actually didn't come back to work until yesterday. <laughs> and That's great. Um, so, you know, just like you said, kind of putting that into practice and at the same time, also like, it, um, you know, modeling that for, you know, my, my staff, my team, you know, my family members, all that kind of stuff. So that's definitely been important. And to your point too, I think it's important to kind of ease into the year. So that's sort of what I've been doing. I mean, even, you know, doing this, you know, podcast was about kind of easing into the year. I probably, I have a gazillion emails I could be answering right now, but I was like, <laughs> nope, I will have a conversation. Let's lean into this. So those little steps for, for, for me have been important. And I'm a fan of choosing kind of like the one, like the, the one word for the year and kind of themes. So my word for this year is focus which is really about learning how to not overextend myself. Because again, mm. power cause, you got so much going on. Like boundaries. That's my boundaries. Boundaries, no is a complete sentence. No is a complete sentence. <laughs> and being okay <laughs> to let things go for the time being and just knowing there's a season for it. So that's been a big part of my new year. And then the other thing has just been staying focused on, like I said, kind of those grounding disciplines that I do on a, you know, on a regular basis, you know, so we went away for a few days, my husband and I just in the desert, which is one of our favorite places. And just like, was very quiet and very still coming back in, you know, really centering in on my, my meditation time, my prayer time. And then for me, exercise. So that's been a big shift for me because I've been so sick for the past several years. Mm -hmm. I haven't really been able to do the exercise that I want to do. And so now that I'm healthy, it's like, okay, 
getting into spaces where I'm going for walks, you know, I'll get on my Peloton. And, but again, just kind of letting the understanding of how to do things um, create space for that. Cause I think sometimes you can kind of get into like this, like check the box off as opposed to like, well, how do I integrate this into my life in a way that actually is sustainable over time? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people are rejecting resolutions because you're sort of like, I'm never going to drink again. And it's like, okay, but like, what does that look like in practice? So right. this first quarter is really about allowing me to put in place the things that I want to do. So for example, I want to be more plant-based this year. And so thinking through, okay, well, what does that look like in action? Okay. Well, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll be plant-based. Okay. That's one thing, you know, so then how do I also layer in like drinking more water? Cause I want that to be a part of it. So giving this sort of first couple months a space for the process and the infrastructure to be put in place has been a big shift for me. Um, I would say in the kind of this season of my life and just sort of acknowledging that, you know, things are a process, you know, you're not going to automatically just stop doing something yesterday because you said it. No, right. you got to build the habits and think through what does it look like? How does it work for you in my own life? And um, that's been really big. And the final thing I'll say is, you know, so I am a bonus mom. So I heard you talk about your, your bonus um, parent. And so I've also been taking the responsibility of being a bonus mom more, um, uh, like incorporating it into my life more immediately. We, we, I've been with my now husband for four years, but in the last year we officially got married. And so it's like really owning that in a way that allows me to lead with, no, I actually have three kids that I have to deal with and integrate into my life, which is very different from the first 40 years of my life where it was just (laughs) me by myself (laughs) because I don't have any of my own children. So that in itself too, has been a process. Like how do I kind of evolve in that way? in terms of my identities for 2023. So long answer to your question, but absolutely agree with the premise of, you know, easing in as opposed to flowing into it. Beautiful. Well, again, thank you so much. I will definitely keep sending you positive energy for 2023. I totally enjoyed this conversation. I hope we can have another one, maybe I don't know, sometime else in 2023 and kind of get yeah. how things are going and, and talk Absolutely. about some of the things that have come up. But again, thank you so much. Um, I'm just grateful for the time and the space that you, you gave us this morning. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And it was a joy. You awesome. You guys are awesome people to have conversations with. So <laughs> well, happy work week back or first week back to work. Um, and I hope, I hope everything goes nice and flowy for you this week. Thank you. Same to you both as well. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us. I'm so excited. I hope you guys really enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. I hope that you have a beautiful week ahead and that your 2023 is off to a gentle, joyous, restful, and abundant start. Join us again next month for our next podcast. Until then, keep thriving.